to fallen friends, brothers, and sisters, sons and daughters who answered their nation's call and gave their lives that others may live in freedom. We reflect on what their lives might have been, but never will be. Their sacrifice is our mandate. Our challenge is to remember. Welcome to the Instinctive Influencers Podcast, a show where influence becomes one of your tools for success. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Ed Haley. Hi, I'm Brian. And I am Ed. And this is the Instinctive Influencers Podcast. Ed, this is the show, it seems like there's certain ones we've been waiting to do. Uh, and this to me is like one of those ones, man, I, I've been excited to do. And I, I, I wanted to, sh- I couldn't wait to share the information that we've gathered. Yeah, me too. So when you, when you approached me with the idea, Brian, I, uh, I got kind of excited and I mean, we're going to get into the show, but I told you beforehand, it's, it, it feels weird, but I don't, it's not because it's the meaning of, uh, what today's show's about. But this is one of my favorite um, time of year. Like some people say, well, I love Christmas or I love Thanksgiving, which Thanksgiving is way up there. But this uh, this weekend, we're we're having a, um, you know, we're having our long weekend. And but this is one that I really it's one of my favorites. Well, I mean, if you think about it, man, this is what you've you've kind of lived your life, the the military life for multiple decades now. And (laughs) you you totally I mean. Like this is the thing that you de- you tend to live for. You're a military history buff, and and then when it comes down to this, when it comes to military history, period, it is really about those who have fallen before us, man. You know, those who and those that uh, that have served and and they've they've done their time and and they've uh, they lost their lives or you know and and they're no longer with us. And that's the whole point of Memorial Day. You know, um, you know, I mean, I love. I love Veterans Day. Uh, it's it's always a fun day. You know, it's funny to see how so many people you don't realize how many people actually have served in, until you <laughs> go through Facebook or something. You're like, oh man, you served? Okay. But Memorial Day, it's like that next level stuff. It's those who serve, but also who have passed, right? And it's and we're more, you know, we're basically looking back upon, you know, at them, and and we kind of honor them, is what it is. Yeah, no, that's definitely, you know, the case. And it's just, um, so I think one of the things that really impacted me, uh, you know, um, back in 2013, my wife and I, we went to Washington DC for Memorial day and we really didn't know what we were going into at the time, but there's just something about Memorial day in DC, you know, at Arlington cemetery, um, Uh, Actually, I had this discussion with my wife yesterday, Brian. I said, hey, I don't know what one thing in D.C. I would say means more to me. Arlington Cemetery or the Vietnam Memorial. And the reason I say that is because Arlington, obviously, you know, it's on a pedestal by itself. But when you go to D.C. for Memorial Day, that Vietnam Memorial Wall has a lot of the veterans there and they're sharing their stories or they're sharing the stories of their their fallen brothers and sisters who are on the wall and and it's so impactful to listen to them and to see these like rugged looking uh bikers which i'll get into in a second uh crying 
as they, you know, they recall these memories. So originally when you approached me about the show, we were talking about, Hey, Memorial day kind of, you know, what it means to you and memories. And I'm telling you, if you, if you ever get the opportunity to go to Washington, DC for Memorial day, I urge you uh, yeah. to do it, but do not step I, out in front of the president's motorcade. Cause my wife did that and she got threatened. <laughs> <laughs> In, inadvertently she stepped out in the road to see what was going on and the uh washington dc cop that was you know kind of blocking the traffic like told her to get up on the curb and she didn't hear him and then he kind of like stepped to her with his weapon and then i grabbed her and, and that's what it was and you know we were right oh, man yeah we were right outside of the gate like we were right on the corner of pennsylvania avenue so oh wow he was going to yeah. reef uh and it was it was yeah. the current sitting president he was going to lay the reef which is another thing they do on memorial day weekend right and uh, she just was just caught up in the moment just like i was so yeah yeah that's that's just awesome man. i'm okay so i've been to i've been to arlington once right and i i got to um visually uh, witness and I actually recorded it. I just, it's been so many years since that happened. I don't know if I still have the VHS that I recorded it on, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I recorded the changing of the guard, right? And of to the unknown soldier. And uh, man, so impressive. So just moving. And what's really cool about it too is you can hear a pin drop. Everyone, there's so much respect there that it, that's, I don't know. It's just, if I'll tell you what, listeners, those of you out there, I'm just going to throw a task now. I don't even. I'm not even going to put it on the Facebook. If you've never been to DC and visited Arlington, you must do it. It is. It is something that's moving, and you. It's kind of like you find a different piece within you when you're around that and you're in that area. Just walking through Arlington, you're just like, mm-hmm. wow, this place is just amazing. So yeah, I've one time it was goodness, man, it was so long ago. It was probably 2000, 2000, no, 99, maybe it was a long time ago, but yeah, it's very impressive. Um, so Ed, as we're getting into this and those of you listening, uh, we're, we're doing a Memorial day show and we're actually going to talk about uh, basically six different, uh, individuals who have served before and, and, and they've passed, but Ed, we're, I mean, obviously you're a man of, you are a man of history. Did you know where Memorial Day actually came from? Yeah, I think I've read it somewhere before, but I did not. Uh, yeah, I, and, and I was shocked. I was shocked when I started yeah. reading it. I didn't know what it was. And, I, and, and, and I think that's kind of like a, it's kind of a tragedy not to, you know, especially being a service member and, and, and loving Memorial Day as such as I do, that not knowing that it actually, it was used to be called Decoration Day. And it was started as an observance for, uh, Civil War soldiers as a Memorial Day, but they called it Decoration Day. And there were two different types, Ed. There was the Northern version, and then there was the Southern version. I thought that was kind of interesting. Interesting. Yeah. <clears throat> so basically, what happened was, is uh, they, they over time, they finally realized, hey, we needed to, uh, you know, we need to create one big memorial to all of our fallen soldiers. And then it basically took place. And this is the crazy part. Like, as I was doing the research to figure out, okay, well, who enacted this? There was no, like, one person or one group that enacted it. Basically, uh, the name Memorial Day, uh, which was first attested in 1882, gradually became more commonly as Decoration Day after World War II. 
but then was not declared the official name by federal law until 1967. So you think 1882 to 1967. And then on June 28th, 1968, Congress, they passed the Uniform Monday Holiday Act, which moved uh, four holidays, including Memorial Day, from their traditional date. And the old traditional date for this was May 30th. And then they turn it to the last Monday of the month. Hmm. And then, yeah, so that's what I said. <laughs> uh, there's lots of different things about it that kind of kind of caught my eye. But one of the things was, is in 2000, Congress, they had basically passed a National Moment of Remembrance Act. I didn't even know about this. Uh, asking people to stop and remember at 3 p.m. On Memorial Day, so I'm going. I'm actually gonna. I'm gonna try to do it with my family, and we're gonna try to make this a, a thing all the time. I didn't know that's what it was. Um, another thing is that you know on Memorial Day, the the flag of the United States it's raised basically briskly all the way to the top, like we always do in the morning, yeah. right? And then it's solemnly lowered to half mass position, and it stays there until noon, and then at noon. It's raised back to full staff, kind of the, of the rem, the remainder of the day, kind of a an a homage to those who went. I was just when I started reading all this stuff, man, I was like, wow, that's uh, yeah, that's something else, you know. So I just that the flag, uh, one of the SAR majors we work with from our our G three, so our you know operations guy, he just sent out an email and was like, hey, like if you have a flag at your home or you know here's what it's supposed to look like. And even then, I was like, you know, I, I don't know if I knew that. I, I, if I did, I've long since forgot it with half my memory. But um, it was it was interesting, though. Yeah, I, I just I didn't really realize it at all either. So I, it's definitely, I think it's good to kind of look back and get into that information. And then you know, I mean, the fact that it, since two thousand they've been doing this, you know, three p.m. thing, and I never even knew it. Uh, I'm. I'm definitely going to make it a kind of a point for us. Um, and I know you, you, you're very much a, not only you a history buff, but the support that you have for anything military side, I, I, I definitely can tell why Memorial day is kind of so special to you too. So, um, yeah, no, it's, and, and, uh, you know, I, I, I say that, you know, probably the DC thing was the big impact and I'm from DC, which is crazy. I, I don't remember ever going there, uh, for Memorial Day until 2013, but um, yeah, it's very impressive. Like you don't have to go into a museum or anything, man. You can spend all your time at the Wall, the Korean War uh, Monument, mm-hmm. the Lincoln Memorial, and Arlington, and like you will just have one heck of an experience uh, and, and, just on those things. Yeah, and that takes a whole week right there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> pretty much. So. All right, hey, um, yeah. so audience, what we're going to do is we're actually going to talk. Um, we have about six different individuals that we, Ed and I kind of, we did some research on and we decided to select as the ones we wanted to highlight in this show. Now, that doesn't mean that those six are more important than any other. We don't feel that way. It's just the ones we want to present. And we want to encourage you to kind of get to know others also. And you can do it multiple ways. Now, one of the things we decided to do was we decided to go with the Medal of Honor recipients because normally, in most cases, they're the ones who sacrificed all, all right? Uh, there are those who, who do survive through uh, whatever it is, gallantry uh, that they showed, um, 
but then later down the road they pass away and sometimes it's because of stuff that they sustained during the wars or, or battles or whatever they were part of um, but what we decided to do is we really wanted to honor everyone but really show hey these are the these are the ones that stood out to us in a sense and there's a number of medal of honor winners i mean a number there's all i mean there's a website dedicated to them alone that just you can go you can click page after page after page of bios and information about people and it's just like wow unbelievable what do you got ed and, and we've done uh we've done two shows only one military related but we have done a medal of honor recipient show yes way back <laughs> oh yeah way back about two years ago we recorded a show for mass Sergeant uh benavidez my man. And then my wife did the one for Dr. Mary Walker, the only yes. female recipient. Um, not military. Well, she was military. She was a surgeon. But um, so, yeah, we've done a couple of these. And and you really could just, like, open up any Medal of Honor book and just pick any story. And uh, they're, they're usually really good. Now, some of the citations you'll find when you research these things, Brian, a lot of those citations back – World War One, World War Two, you know, before that, they were very uh, abbreviated. They right. weren't as as much wasn't as much detail available and things. Yes, uh, back then. And actually, the quote that we opened to show up is from a book called "Medal of Honor: Portraits of Valor Beyond the Call of Duty," um, and, and it's a good book. I picked it up at, at our place there in Nashville, good old McKay's. <laughs> but it's got. Uh, <laughs> The foreword by George, President George H.W. Bush and then essays in it from Presenter uh, McCain, Tom Brokaw, and a number of other people. And there's some really good, interesting stories. And one of my guys is in there that I'm going to talk about today. Absolutely, man. Uh, and and this is not to take away either from, you know, Ed and I, have, we, we're huge fans, of, uh, fans, and I hate to say fans, but we, we honor those who served in all the different types of battles and wars before ours to include what's going on in the present day today. Uh, it's not to take away from anybody who whose life was lost that didn't receive a Medal of Honor, maybe got a bronze star or a silver star or anything like that, or, or just a purple heart because something crazy happened. We honor those two. I mean, those guys, I'm telling you, um, every every day that we get to fight and still get to do what we get to do, it's an honor to be able to. And it's Actually, a f it's thanking them in a sense too because they were able to do it, you know. And anything about it, Ed, we talk about Simon Sinek a lot, right? And one of the things he talks about, he's like, he he explained in one of his stories about he asked a particular officer, "Why is it that you run into danger and do the things that you do?" And the answer that he gets back is what moves me the most every time I hear him say it. When I've ever watched his videos, and he said, "Because they would have done it for me." And that's the point. That's like that. I mean, I get goosebumps just sitting here saying it, man. It, that's that point, brother, that just kind of it reinvigorates that fire. I, I truly believe that's part of the reason why I hadn't decided to retire yet, because I love it that much, you know? I mean, I love it, too. But Father Time is, Father Time is right on nipping on my heels. But it's creeping. Um, one of the things. <laughs> so when you said respect, it, it, it hit me. So one of the things my wife and I have actually done a few cemeteries that we've been to. So we went to the Chattanooga cemetery where Desmond Dawes is born. Everybody knows him as the, the medic, you know, earned a medal of honor. Um, 
And of course, Arlington, I've been to the one at Normandy. But one of the things I always do is we take a pocket full of pennies. Okay. To the, to the military cemeteries. Do you know why we take the pennies, Brian? Well, I, I do. And part of it's because okay. you've informed me uh, more <laughs> than once. And I saw you recently posted it again. But why don't you explain to the, uh, the listeners? Okay. So when you go to the cemetery and you see these uh, coins on the headstones, tombstones. So a penny basically means you stopped and paid your respect. And Brian's talking about paying respect, not just the Medal of Honor winners. but So my wife and I will find some kind of like hey, let's see somebody from the Korean War. And we'll look on the little directory and we'll find somebody and, you know, and you leave a penny. A nickel means you went to basic training or boot camp with that person. A dime means you actually fought side by side with that person. And a quarter means you were there when they were, when they actually lost their lives. So Mm -hmm. as a civilian, if I go to a a military cemetery, like that would help you understand. Cause I know for me, if I wasn't military, right. And interested in it, or even the first time I went to Arlington and saw it, I was like, why is there change on there? Mm-hmm. And then you're like, ah, now it makes sense. It's it's a beautiful thing. I know that the cemetery eventually, you know, the groundskeepers are cleaning it all up. Yeah. Uh, I know the one here in Luxembourg. I do believe it all goes to like the, you know, to into the funds to help maintain the cemetery there. Yes. yes. Uh, the military cemetery. So, yeah, no, it's just a cool thing to do. Like when my wife and I go, that's we always ask, hey, you got a bunch of pennies? Okay. And that's a, that's one way to pay your respects, though. I mean, is there anything more impressive than the way those crosses are lined up when you go to a military cemetery? Like how Beautiful. uniformed and just exact everything is. It's incredible. Yeah, yeah incredible. Yeah, so you brought up that whole the money where it goes. I'm pretty sure I read an article not too long ago. It was, well, if I say not too long ago, it's probably within the last five years. But I want to say I read an article and they had talked about the one at Arlington because Arlington is federally funded. Everything, everything in there. I mean, well, all of them are, but nothing is like you have to donate for it to keep it up. Uh, I'm pretty sure they collect the money uh, that's on the tombstone because they can't leave all that out there. Um, they, they end up no. cleaning it up. But when they do, I want to say every bit of it goes back into the retirement home, the Armed Forces Retirement Home. I'm almost certain oh, they the donate. Old soldiers home. <laughs> yeah, I, I want to say they donate back yeah. to that. So put it this way. Anywhere you go, I guarantee you they're donating the money somewhere. Okay. So uh, but hey, Ed, I think we got to get into these stories, these amazing <laughs> I citations. I mean, I, you've got three citations. I got three citations. Here's my question. Do we go to new to old or old to new? Uh I plan on going through mine kind of uh, they're both kind of well. One's newer, yeah. So I've got new to older in mind. Okay, all um, right. And 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 one thing that I did, I just I want the listeners to know is I picked two of mine because, like I said, there's so many of them. But the two of mine actually just passed away this month, so that's kind of why I I lean towards them. And then the third one, I have read his story multiple times in different books, and it always it's just an impressive story. I've always enjoyed the story, so. Absolutely. And in a sense, I kind of went, I went in uh, the direction, I went at it a certain way. I feel like, well, you know, we, you and I, we concentrate heavily on army, 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 but I was like, you know what, this is not about just army. This is a little bit about everything. So one of my things was I wanted to have three different branches of service at least. Um, 
because we only did three. We could have done four, and I could have, and then I would have pulled an Air Force guy, but I didn't. I pulled a Navy, Marine Corps, and Army. But then I also wanted to kind of hit upon different wars that have happened. You know, uh, the first one I'm going to talk about really is going to be about you know war on terror, Afghanistan type thing. Then the next one will be Vietnam, and then the last one is going to be World War II. Now I don't want to take away from the Korean War, which you reminded me early. Well, it is kind of the forgotten war. I don't want to take away because I. I used to know a guy, Ed, his name, his name was John Reese, right? Not Reese, Reese. Reese. I can't remember his last name completely. I think it was Reese, like, but everyone called him Jack. And I always wondered, I was like, why don't they just call you John? But they, everybody called him Jack. I guess it was his nickname or something, Mm -hmm. but he was actually, uh, he was a Navy corpsman who was attached to the Marines in the Korean war. And he uh, he showed me his ears. So both of he had finally received. Uh, it took years for him to get benefits, but both of his ears, the top parts of his ears, were had to be cut off because of the frostbite from it, from fighting mm-hmm. in the Korean War. And he 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 told me one story about the time that uh, he had to get uh, basically communication wire from one area to another, and he had to. It was basically attached to him. It, I don't. I don't know if he said it was on his back or on his side. It was attached to him, and he had to low crawl from one fighting position to another to get this wire across. It, because if he would have got up, you know, he would have been gotten shot and whatnot. So, uh, but I used to. I used to love listening to him. So I didn't want to. I don't ever want to take away from the Korean War because <laughs> I think that's a that's a big thing. I mean, I I've been there in Korea. I know what it's you know all the things that could have happened and stuff. But uh, all right, well. I think you should start this off because you're going to end us off with a really beautiful uh, creed uh, at the end. So won't you won't you give us your first one, brother? All right. So my first one is Staff Sergeant Ronald J. Schur. Um, he was Army, and he was part of ta- uh, Operations Task Force Afghanistan, where his actions took place in the Shuk Valley of Nuristan Province. Afghanistan in 2008. Uh, so I, I think believe what we're going to do here is we're going to go through the citation first, Brian. Is that the yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. You t- tell them the way you want, brother. Oh, okay. Well, Staff Sergeant Ronald J. Sure the second distinguished himself by acts of gallantry and intrepidity above and beyond the call of duty on April 6, 2008, while serving as a senior medical sergeant, Special Forces Operational Attachment Alpha. 3336, Special Operations Task Force 33. In support of Operation Enduring Freedom, Staff Sergeant Schur was part of an assault element inserted by helicopter into a location in Afghanistan. As the assault element moved up a near vertical mountain towards its objective, it was engaged by fierce enemy machine gun, sniper, and rocket-propelled grenade fire. The lead position of the assault element, which included the ground Commander sustained several casualties and became pinned down on the mountainside. Uh, Staff Sergeant Schur and the rest of the trailing portion of the assault elements were likewise engaged by enemy machine guns, sniper, and rocket-propelled grenade fire. As this attack intensified, Staff Sergeant Schur braved enemy fire to move to an injured soldier and treat his wounds. Having stabilized the injured soldier, Staff Sergeant Schur then uh, learned of the casualties among the lead element. He fought his way up the mountainside under intense enemy fire to the lead element's location. Upon reaching that the lead element, he treated and stabilized two more soldiers. Finishing those life-saving efforts, 
Staff Sergeant Sherry noticed two additional severely wounded soldiers under intense enemy fire. The bullet that had wounded one of these soldiers had also impacted Staff Sergeant Sherry's helmet. With complete disregard for his own life, Staff Sergeant Sherry again moved through enemy fire to treat and stabilize one soldier's severely wounded arm. Shortly thereafter, Staff Sergeant Sherry continued to brave withering enemy fire to get to the other soldier's location in order to treat his lower leg which had been almost completely severed by a high-caliber sniper round. After treating the soldiers, Staff Sergeant Schur began to evacuate the wounded, carrying and lowering them down the sheer mountainside. While moving down the mountain, Staff Sergeant Schur used his body to shield the wounded from enemy fire and debris caused by danger-close airstrikes. Reaching the base of the mountain, Staff Sergeant Schur set up a casualty collection point and continued to treat the wounded. With the arrival of the medical evacuation helicopter, Staff Sergeant Sher again under enemy fire helped load the wounded into the helicopter. Having ensured the safety of the wounded, Staff Sergeant Sher then regained control of his commando squad and rejoined the fight. He continued, incredible, to lead the troops and in place security elements until it was time to move to the evacuation landing zone for the helicopter. Staff Sergeant Schur's actions are in keeping with the finest traditions of military service and reflect great credit upon himself. Combined Joint Special Operations Task Force Afghanistan, Special Operations Command Central, and the United States Army. So first thing, what is it with us and medics, right? Because Sergeant Benavidez was also a medic guy. But, you know, this is – so I think the medics, you know, we we as military, we, we, we like to poke the medics and we like to rib the medics, you know, crack jokes. But these guys, their mission in life is to be shot at, to get to you, to treat you, you know. And, and it's so amazing when you read these stories. Mm-hmm. His ability, like, so currently I'm doing some work, and we've talked about emotional intelligence, but his ability to self-regulate him, to regulate himself, and to keep pushing forward despite his own fears, despite the threat, the imminent threat to his life. I think it just really illustrates even more why uh staff sergeant sure really stood out um and again like i said i i picked him because he he passed um may 14th of this year so like recent recent and and that's why i picked him but the story is incredible and you can find it on Com- uh, congressional medal of honor society.org or cmoh.org which is what brian talked about earlier you yes. can find all these people we're going to talk about today there brian but uh yeah, this is this is bravery. This is putting everybody else before yourself. You know, Staff's not sure he probably has family at home and he's got all these other things, but he never said, "Well, I'm not going out there. It's dangerous." You know, I want to live. He fought to help people, and um, yeah, it's just amazing to me, Ryan. It is, and what you brought up here about the medics and whatnot, I I find that to be um, kind of makes me a bit awestruck in, in their attitude towards things because that is, you're exactly correct. Like if somebody's down, they have to go after them. That's, that's their, I mean, that is their point in, 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 uh, their career is to save those put myself in. And that's, I, if, if anything, that's, that's like a servant leadership type, uh, role, you know, you, you, you're Absolutely. putting yourself last. You're trying to take care of those in front of you. Um, you know, and that's the other thing too, you know, uh, some medics, they get, they get ribbed and whatnot, but you know, every infantry platoon has a medic in it. 
And they have to do everything that those infantry guys have to do. Plus, they have to also be very extremely proficient in their job. So you that's a lot of work, my man. That is a ton of work. Yeah. Yeah. And I, yeah, I, I mean, and you're I go mean, ahead. It happened in what, April? You and I have been to Afghanistan. Like April in Afghanistan, like it's starting to warm up, you know? Oh yes. So I mean, the just the whole the, the operation, the environment, you know, they're on the mountainside. We always talk about the role that terrain plays in any kind of planning process. But here he's executing life-saving techniques, and that, that terrain is beating his body up too. He's got snipers. I mean, just incredible. Yeah, exactly, man. That's just it's amazing uh, the way he kind of went after it and and still just drove on and drove on. And it's that, you know, it's that will to live, but also I'll I'll say it again. I'll probably say it a few more times in this show. Simon asked the question, why did you do it? And the guy replies, because they'd have done it for me. And that's exactly Absolutely. what it means. That's exactly what it means. All right, no, man. No. You have anything else about your guy? Yeah, no, you know, we talk, we've talked about values and our army values. And I mean, this is the epitome of selfless service, right? Like, oh, yeah. I mean, I, I can tell you as a military guy with 20 plus years, 22 plus, I cannot fathom what goes through your mind at that moment that makes him do what he's been trained his whole career to do. Um, you know, I like to think that I would be able to do it or you would be able to do it, but you really don't know till you're in that situation. But just what goes through your mind before you're like, all right, I got to go. Or does anything? Is it just muscle memory? He's trained so well that he just goes. Well, I mean, when it says used his own body to shield the wounded from enemy fire and debris, come on. Used his <laughs> own body to shield others. So, and and we're talking about, you know, shrapnel probably coming from other directions and whatnot. And he kind of, obviously, it's not the the cleanest environment. I can tell you that right now. But that's just, mm -hmm. I mean, man, you can't. Yeah, he's your, he battles through. And all, all these guys today, they battle through the fog of war. And they just maintain their wits about them and, and the their ability to execute. I mean, I just think it takes a special kind of person. And, and I'm glad that these are the people that we go to combat with. That's, that's for Absolutely. sure. Absolutely. Well, Ed, I, I want to say my neck, the one that I'm going to be bringing up next, uh, he, his actually took place about three years just prior to uh, your guy there. Um, but yeah. a lot of people will know who this is when we start talking about it. So basically, if you want to know about the next one, uh, all I got to say is Murph, you know, on, on Monday, that's a, in the community of the CrossFit, a lot of people do what's called a Murph, which is a, an extreme, um, test of strength and endurance uh, overall you know you're looking at a one mile run you're looking at 100 pull-ups you're looking at 200 push-ups you're looking at 300 air squats and then you're looking at another one mile run all while wearing a flak vest iotv uh, plate carrier whatever so you're talking that that's a feat of strength so there's an actual exercise named after this gentleman um and many of you listening if you've if you've ever seen the movie or read the book Lone Survivor, then you'll know exactly who we're talking about, right? And and that and Ed Ed loves Ed loves to talk about Marcus Luttrell and the team never quit. And I think th this guy is definitely the epitome of that. 
um, in what he did. So who I'm going to be discussing right now is uh, Lieutenant Michael Murphy. And he was part of the SEAL Team 1 and part of the Operation Red Wing. So here's the citation. For conspicuous gallantry and intrepidity at the risk of his life above and beyond the call of duty as the leader of a special reconnaissance element with Naval Special Warfare Task Unit Afghanistan on 27 and 28 June 2005. While leading a mission to locate a high-level anti-coalition military leader, Lieutenant Murphy demonstrated extraordinary heroism in the face of grave danger in the vicinity of Asabad Konar Province, Afghanistan. On 28 June 2005, operating in an extremely rugged enemy-controlled area, Lieutenant Murphy's team was discovered by anti-coalition military sympathizers who revealed their position to Taliban fighters. As a result, between 30 and 40 enemy fighters besieged his four-member team. Demonstrating exceptional resolve, Lieutenant Murphy valiantly led his men in engaging the large enemy force. The ensuing fierce firefight resulted in numerous enemy casualties as well as the wounding of all four members of the team. Ignoring his own wounds and demonstrating exceptional composure, Lieutenant Murphy continued to lead and encouraged his men. When the primary communicator fell mortally wounded, Lieutenant Murphy repeatedly attempted to call for assistance for his beleaguered teammates. Realizing the impossibility of communicating in the extreme terrain and in the face of almost certain death, he fought his way into open terrain to gain a better position to transmit a call. This Deliberate heroic act deprived him of cover, exposing him to direct enemy fire. Finally, achieving contact with his headquarters, Lieutenant Murphy maintained his exposed position while he provided his location and requested immediate support for his team. In his final act of bravery, he continued to engage the enemy until he was more orderly wounded gallantly giving his life for his country and for the cause of freedom. By his selfless leadership, courageous actions, and extraordinary devotion to duty, Lieutenant Murphy reflected great credit upon himself and upheld the highest traditions of the United States Naval Service. So that that right there, that was uh, the citation about Lieutenant Murphy. And if a lot of us realize, basically they were they were going into an area that was known to have a, a larger number of Taliban. However, yeah. it wasn't. They didn't know how much. They didn't know the level of this. And you know, when you go into the Lone Survivor book, uh, that's what I. That's where I learned most of it. I to tell you the truth, Ed, I still haven't watched the movie. Um, I read the book, and it it's moved moved me enough that I you know I follow Marcus Luttrell. I like listen to his podcast and everything. Um, but it goes into great detail of the story with Mike Murphy, um, and everything he went. You know, I mean, one of the things is you know he has nicknames, right? He has he has there's three different nicknames he had. The first one was Murph. Mm-hmm. Second was Mikey, but the one that I thought was the most moving was the protector, and that's because he was kind of like the protector. He he was kind of like that one who felt like he had to protect everyone around him, and that's what he's constant, and that's what he did when he gave his own life 
to run out in the middle where everyone could see him and to make a yeah. phone call. Because when you get into the book, see, he didn't say that in the citation. He made a phone call. Yep. I mean, it was just insane, man. So what, what are your thoughts, brother? Yeah, well, so even beyond that, so he makes this call on the phone, and he gets wounded making the call. And then he, so basically the call is because nobody knows where they're at because they've, they've been retreating down this mountain. They've been literally falling down the mountain, Yeah, Um, you know, and he makes this call to give up their position. And he then, after being shot twice, picks up his weapon, flanks to the left and continues to try to kill Taliban. He kills a few more before he's finally, um, you know, mortally wounded in, in that action. So really just incredible. And that book to listen to Marcus tell the story and mm-hmm. the impact, you know, um, actually I found a thing when, when I saw you were doing him, Marcus did a, you know, an interview with Bill O'Reilly and, and the only reason I really wanted to pull from there is so th- when, when he asked Bill O'Reilly asked Marcus about Lieutenant Murphy. What kind of guy was he? And I thought this would really aid in your citation of of Lieutenant Murphy. And these are the words of Marcus Luttrell. He says he was a consummate professional. I mean, he was the go-to guy. You know, a great leader, a great friend. I just can't say enough about him, sir. He was the type of guy that all the other guys tried to emulate and be like. Always had a smile on his face. And it got bad in Bud's training. I mean, You've heard the stories of people. People know what I'm talking about. But until you're actually in there, you don't really understand it. And, you know, he always had a level head and kept everybody going. Um, and I think that those words, like, um, and, and anytime you hear Marcus, I've never seen Marcus Luttrell talk about Murphy without his voice cracking or him breaking down. Oh, right? yeah. So it just tells you what kind of person he was and what he meant to his SEAL family. Oh, yeah. It, it's just that that mindset i mean it it's there's it's it, it takes a different type of breed of person at times you know to be able to go through the things that some of those uh those individuals cuz i i can't i can't attest to doing anything that those guys did you know uh, we serve and we enjoy what we do but it's not exactly what he, they did you're talking about a four man team four people four people who were facing i mean it said in the it said in the citation thirty to forty, but when you start reading in the book, is a lot more than that. Mm-hmm. That's the thirty to forty. That just, yeah, for probably that one incident where they were in that village area or that that valley area where he made the call. But you're talking about way before that, and it all started because you know they had to make a they had to make a call on whether they uh, subdue this this uh, sheep herder and his son. You know, yep. and, and it all started because that because Mike was trying to do the right thing according to the the rules of engagement. He was trying to do the right yep. thing. And that's the kind of guy he wanted to protect his guys. But also at the same time, is it legally, ethically and morally correct? That's one of his that was, I could definitely tell that's one of his ways of looking at things. And that no wonder why Marcus was, you know, so uh, attached to him. I mean, that's I mean, come on. You know, they, they those guys. They fought together, you know, and 
I just uh, yeah, I no, absolutely. I really wanted to highlight to me that's one of those ones that is always standing out. Man, you're going to notice each one of the ones we talk about most. You know, it's about people putting others before themselves. But you know, that's kind of that that Mike is what started my little trend of who I'm searching for and their stories, and he it's kind of like he set it off for me, and then I started searching. And I really, and Ed, I'm, I'm going to tell you, man, I read multiple and multiple and multiple Medal of Honor winners. They all were wonderful, but it was like, I'm, I was looking for a certain story that I wanted to present, you know, to our listeners and, and, and they can maybe look it up. So other than that, man, I, hey, I'm ready for you to give me that next one. <laughs> yeah. It's, hey, it's hard to follow up Murphy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> You know, it's hard. Uh, but what I got for you, I'm all for you, Brian, is we're going to go back to the Republic of Vietnam, Camp Ashao, uh, which we actually have a road on Fort Campbell named Ashao Valley, uh, March 9th to the 12th of 1966. And we're going to talk about Sergeant First Class Atkins. Sergeant First Class Atkins distinguished himself during the period 9 March uh, 1966 to 12 March 1966 during combat operations at Camp Ashao. Republic of Vietnam. When the camp was attacked by a large Viet Cong force, Sergeant First Class Atkins rushed through intense hostile fire and manned a mortar position. Although he was wounded, he ran through exploding mortar rounds and dragged several of his comrades to safety. When the hostile fire subsided, Sergeant First Class Atkins exposed himself to sporadic sniper fire and carried wounded comrades to the camp dispensary. During the evacuation of a seriously wounded American, Sergeant First Class Atkins maneuvered outside the camp walls to draw fire. So for our listeners, draw fire means basically say, hey, look at me, shoot over here, mm. uh, and successfully covered the rescue. During the early morning hours of 10 March 1966, a Viet Cong regiment launched their main attack. Within two hours, Sergeant First Class Atkins was the only man firing a mortar weapon. Although he was painfully wounded and most of his crew was killed or wounded, he fought off the fanatical wave of attacking Viet Cong. After withdrawing to a communications bunker where several Americans were attempting to fight off a company of Viet Cong, Sergeant First Class Atkins killed numerous insurgents with his suppressive fire. Running extremely low on ammunition, he returned to the mortar pit, gathered the vital ammunition, and ran through intense fire back to the communications bunker. After being ordered to evacuate the camp, all signal equipment and classified documents were destroyed. So our first class Atkins and a small group of men fought their way out the camp and evaded the Viet Cong for two days until they were rescued by a helicopter. So our first class Atkins extraordinary heroism is in close combat against a numerically superior hostile force was in keeping with the highest traditions of the military service and reflect great credit upon himself, his unit and the United States army. So the thing that stands out here, he does all this stuff when the camp's under attack, but it's, it's that last piece you know, he leads a group out of the camp and they evade um, the Viet Cong for two days, basically in the jungles of Vietnam. So on their home turf, he was able to evade them and be rescued. And I'm curious, I would love to read like a firsthand account of what that was like, like somebody else in that small group. What was his leadership like? Did, was he the guy that was like, hey, I got you. Here's how we're going to do this. Um Based off his actions in the camp, I believe that that's probably what happened is yeah. once, you know what I mean? Yep. So, and, and again, this is another one that I picked because um, Sergeant First Class Atkins, 
he passed away uh, this month also, or last month on 17 April 2020. He passed away. He was a member of the 5th Special Forces, which as you and I know is now housed at Fort Campbell, Kentucky. But this is another, you know, we we've, we said you're going to hear this as the listener several times. These are guys putting others ahead of themselves. Uh, you know, and he continued to fight. Everybody's down. I'm the only guy shooting mortars. And a mortar is like a cannon shot, basically. It's a round shot into the air at a, at a greater distance than you're going to reach with a rifle. And that kind of keeps the enemy back. And that's the value added of that mortar. So that's why him shooting that, he was probably holding that enemy back off that camp a little bit longer than they, they uh, you know, they were held. Um which enable which would have enabled you know people to escape and, and get away from there. So his efforts probably saved a ton of lives just by delaying actions, being still firing that mortar. So I think Sergeant First Class Atkins deserves to be recognized, like all of our uh, our entries today, as well as all the others who have who have paid that ultimate sacrifice or or you know fought in combat. So really good one. Again, I just he's the other one I picked out just because of the recentness of his passing. Uh, I thought it was significant to kind of get that message out there uh, mm-hmm. to our listeners, Brian. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, um, I, I think I, I, this is probably a good point to bring up because I'm also going to go into a Vietnam um, era uh, warrior that uh, I want to talk about. But uh, for the Vietnam era, and we can talk about this later on too, though, is the Ken Burns series on Vietnam and how excellent that is. And I think Amazing. if people really want to see and kind of get that feeling of it or an idea behind it, I mean, he knows how to tell the story, but do it in a manner that's not like biased in any way, right? He's not biased in yeah. this. He's just telling the story and he's going through and you get to experience in a sense. Um, and I say in a sense, because I don't feel like you actually get to experience it. It's those guys that when you start, using that emotional intelligence when they're speaking to the camera about the situations they were in, you start mm-hmm. to, you, you're like, wow, that's, this is something else, you know? And, you know, I, I find, I find it funny. I had, and, and I don't know if you feel this way too. Like it, there are times when people, um, they'll, they'll thank you, you know, for service and stuff. And then you're kind of like, well, you know, yeah, it's not, it's not like it used to be, you know? And that's kind of like one of those, that's the Vietnam era. I, I constantly reflect upon that one. That is one of my, uh, one of the areas that I, I kind of like, I enjoy the most. I don't enjoy that era. I mean, I don't enjoy the war, but like, I look upon that, you know, to, for guidance and leadership and wisdom and things like that. And some of the things that went oh, right, yeah. some of the things were wrong and just to understand, um, and, to kind of take that and say that we're, we fight that same way. It's completely different. You, I mean, you're talking like some of the stories that you'll read, especially like even with your guy, guarantee it, you know, for him to be doing the things he did, you couldn't see two feet in front of you sometimes in the thickness of that jungle. You didn't know if the enemy was literally standing behind a tree beside you, you know, in our sense, you know, what we deal with in our modern day wars of where we're at, it's it's a little bit different, um, but at the same time, it's just as bad in its own sense. Uh, you know, and when you're in the desert, you can't you can see for miles, but you can't see if somebody's got something for miles away. You know, you don't see rockets coming in on you, things like that. Um, yeah. you know, or if you're in the mountains, this area of the Afghanistan, I'm telling you, like 
if you've never seen the pictures of the mountains of Afghanistan, Afghanistan has some, some of the most beautiful mountains I've ever seen in my life, ever. And I live right beside the Rockies right now. Rockies are beautiful, yeah. but nothing like Afghanistan's mountains. I mean, and you can't see if there's somebody on the side of that mountain doing things towards you. So, I mean, this it, it's hard to compare the two because it's two different types of wars. But I, I've always said I have great respect for the ones who fought before us because of how they had to fight. So, hey, great pick, man. Yeah. No. Yeah, no, I agree. So I agree. The, the, the similarity to me with Vietnam and the way we currently are is the type of enemy. So, yeah, it's a different terrain, a different environment. But, you know, going into Vietnam, we were used to fighting more of a standard kind of war. And then now we got this asymmetric warfare where it, it's not what we're used to. We we can't identify the enemy. We can't identify them. they're in pajamas, they're in clothes, you know, yeah. plain clothes. And that's very much kind of the 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 vibe now uh currently is like it's harder to identify the enemy. In World War II, you knew who the enemy was. You know, he was the guy in the gray jacket. Like you yeah. knew. Yeah. And, and and now that's gone. And I think that's one of the big kind of comparisons you can make between Vietnam and, you know, the current uh, warfare. Oh, yeah. yeah I agree, man. And I, I'm glad you brought it up that way because as soon as you said it, it made me think, like, that same guy that you just bought a chicken on a stick from as you're turning around is the same guy that could be pulling up a shotgun or, or, or a rifle or AK right behind your back as you turned around, right? You don't, yep. you don't know. And in Vietnam, it was the same way. They didn't know... And, and at times, I think that's where the lines got blurred because even in the Ken Burns video, you start learning about that warfare there and how things were. And sometimes people were uh, killed that shouldn't have been. And then sometimes people weren't that, you know, who knows what happened. But, uh, yeah, it's just it's insane, man. Yeah. Um, but I don't want to take away from today's show. This is yep. about <laughs> Memorial Memorial Day and then remembering those who did, you know, served and, and uh, have lost their lives since. Um, so I want to go into my next one. It is very much same thing. Uh, is, well, he's the same era. How about that? Uh, as yours dealing with the Vietnam War. Now, this young man, he actually he, he died when he was 19 years old. Ed, 19 years old is how old he was. It's, uh, and he basically he was from Charleston, South Carolina. So I want to think about that. Let's think about, I'm going to set this scene before I read what he did. But we're talking Charleston, South Carolina in the 60s, 50s and 60s, right? The attitude. Yep. And this is a young black a young black man, a 19-year-old man, right? You can already think like what life was like for him already, right? It was already tough, you know, and, and there's, and I, I think the way he was treated would be much different than a uh, um, somebody today all right let's you know civil rights it didn't it didn't just happen right so this guy i mean he for whatever he did uh, you know it's like he lived by a code i feel like that i don't know him but it just feels like that all right so i'm gonna read his uh his citation here for conspicuous gallantry and intrepidity at the risk of his life above and beyond the call of duty while serving as a reconnaissance scout with Company A in action against the North Vietnamese Army and Viet Cong forces. In the early morning hours during Operation Rock, PFC Johnson 
was a member of a 15-man reconnaissance patrol manning an observation post on Hill 146, overlooking the Quaduc Valley Deep in enemy-controlled territory. They were attacked by a platoon-sized hostile force employing automatic weapons, satchel charges, and hand grenades. Suddenly, a hand grenade landed in the three-man fighting hole occupied by PFC Johnson and two fellow Marines. Realizing the inherent danger to his two comrades, he shouted a warning and unhesitatingly hurled himself on the explosive device. When the grenade exploded, PFC Johnson absorbed the tremendous impact of the blast and was killed instantly. His prompt and heroic act saved the lives of one Marine and cost of his life and undoubtedly prevented the enemy from penetrating his sector of the patrol's perimeter. PFC Johnson's courage, Mm. inspiring valor, and selfless devotion to duty were in keeping with the highest tradition of the Marine Corps and the U.S. Naval Service. He gallantly gave his life for his country. And I would add in there, and his brothers, right? Mm -hmm. So this young man, 19 years old, I mean, he probably wasn't, he, he was barely there in, in basically in January, he arrived of 1968 and he passed in March. All right. So, and I looked him up. I wanted to find out more information about him, but basically he got there. He was only there for basically three months, maybe. And he had formed this bond and he didn't want his battle. And he threw himself on their grenade. Like that's. Mm. You know that something's going to happen. You, you, it's not like, oh, I'm just going to throw myself on this and hopefully, hey, I'll live. He knew he was going to die. He knew that he was going to take the brunt of the force. He knew he was going to put himself before others in the manner that would save others, right? And it's so funny, man. I'm going to say it again. Simon said, why did you do it? Because they would have done it for me, right? That's... I'm telling you, PFC Ralph Johnson, he was a uh, Marine. You think about it, you think about the the times he was living. Uh, we don't know the other two guys or who they are or, you know, we don't know their ethnicity or anything. But what we do know is they were also Marines. And I think that's what Johnson saw, right? That's my brother. Yeah. Uh, that That's other Marines. It doesn't matter. There's no... There's nothing, I mean, it, and it doesn't matter what their ethnicity is or their, their background or anything like that. It's the fact that he cared about them. And I guarantee you, you know, if those gentlemen are still alive today, they, I, I know there's there, they celebrate Johnson every single day. I, I, without a doubt. So your thoughts, my man. Well, so your, your story kind of brought to my mind. One, what is it with Marines and privates? Because in 2010, there was a Marine, Kyle Carpenter, who was on a rooftop with a friend, a battle buddy, and he shielded the friend from a blast from a grenade. And he actually survives. Mm. He gets really injured. He gets, you know, the Medal of Honor and the whole thing. So it's as soon as you start, when you're saying it, I'm listening. I'm going, that story is familiar. Like, just like you can't hesitate. Like you and I know, like grenades, it's been a little while. Like what, three to five second? Yeah. Yeah. All right. So three to five. There's no there's no exact number there. It's three to <laughs> so these five. Guys are making and it could go a life 
life-changing decision in three to five seconds and saving lives in three to five seconds. Um, so that is incredible, um, you know, that they're able to do that. And I just, I just, I find a little irony in that both of them were private first classes and both of them were Marines. But the really thing that stands out, so you're, when you say private first class Johnson, right, or private first class Carpenter, but that's showing the type of leader they could be or they are already. They're just not, mm-hmm. they just don't have the rank of a leader yet because we haven't given it to them. The military hadn't given it, given it to them yet, but they showed it. They showed, you know, putting the other man first and, and taking care of others and, and that, that ultimate sacrifice, because even Carpenter, even though he survives and he gets a lot of really serious wounds, he didn't know he was going to survive the blast, but he did it anyway. No, he did not. Johnson doesn't know yep. what the outcome is going to be, but he does it anyway. So um, just it, it is it's, you know, all the citations usually say something about, you know, brings great credit upon and, and or whatever. But man, I, I I mean, how could we not agree with that? You know what I mean? Like for me, I'm not a I'm not a Marine Marine guy. I'm an army guy, but I'm a military guy at the end of the day. And I mean, I'm proud that these people were our brothers and sisters mm-hmm. and, and that they, you know, that they performed like that and just incredible, absolutely incredible. Yeah, you say that too, Ed. And I think about, so I joined the Army when I was 19. This kid, he basically gave up his life for his brothers when he was 19. And it, it just, I think about that and I think like the chance, what you said is like, we don't even know what leader he could have been down the road. And I'm like, yeah. Wow, I was because I, I know at nineteen I was just a like an immature total jerk. Let me just say that uh, it, it, him to make that ultimate sacrifice, that decision, he deserves to be remembered on Memorial Day today. He deserves he deserves mm-hmm. to be remembered every day for something like that. Such an incredible young man. Uh, I just love that story, man. Um, but hey. You ready to move on to the, the to our next, and not just say move on, but to start thinking about another? Well, I am, Brian. Um, now, this is my uh, this is my guy here. This is my first officer. This is First Lieutenant Vernon Baker, and his it's going to be about his actions near, oh boy, Viareggio, Italy, on the 5th and 6th of April, 1945, so as the World War II is closing out. And one of the very significant things about Baker, so one, you can see Baker's story on the Netflix show, Medal of Honor. Uh, Vernon Baker is an African-American, and he's serving in a segregated unit. But at the, at the point of these actions, he's brought into a, a white unit, right? But he has to take a, a drop. He can't be, he was an executive officer. He can't be the executive officer because it's a white unit, right? They're still segregated. Like you said, civil rights uh, made a lot of things better, way better. So at this point, you know, he takes it. He's like, Hey, whatever. I just want to fight at, at the end of the day. And he actually, um, you know, uh, the other two, I focused on kind of, they departed recently, but um, Lieutenant Davis, departed in or passed away in July of 2010. And I'm going to read his citation. Now, this is one of those citations uh, I was telling you before, Brian, the citation is, is small, but there's a lot 
to this story. Yeah. More actions, more, you know, they capture enough to get the, for him to get the medal of honor, be a recipient, but so much more to this. So let's, let's learn about Lieutenant Baker uh, for extraordinary heroism in action on five and six, April, 1945 near Varigio, Italy. Then second Lieutenant Baker demonstrated outstanding courage and leadership in destroying enemy installations, personnel and equipment during his company's attack against the strongly entrenched enemy in mountainous terrain. When his company was stopped by a concentration of fire from several machine gun emplacements, he crawled to one position and destroyed it, killing three Germans. Continuing forward, he attacked an, uh, he attacked an enemy observation post and killed two of the occupants with the aid of one of his men, Lieutenant Baker attacked two more machine gun nests, killing or wounding the four enemy soldiers occupying these positions. He then covered the evacuation of the wounded personnel of his company by occupying an exposed position and drawing the enemy's fire. On the following night, Lieutenant Baker voluntarily led a battalion advance through enemy minefields and heavy fire toward the division objective. Second Lieutenant Baker's fighting spirit and daring leadership were an inspiration to his men and exemplify the highest traditions of the armed forces. So one of the things that's left out of this, Brian, with Lieutenant Baker is uh, he starts this with 25 guys in his team. Uh, At the point when all this ends, the last his kind of last push at the enemy, he has six left and they're in the path that he's going to advancing towards the enemy so that's one of the things now the other thing is interesting is originally lieutenant baker is awarded the distinguished service cross in july 1945 um and he he didn't get out the military he stayed in military till 1968 but the real interesting point of this is uh there were not very many african americans who received the medal of honor in world war ii as a matter of fact in World War II, none did, or World War I. Uh, the last one had been 1902 at this point. Um, so the significance is that there is an investigation into this later, a federal grant 50 years after the assault on Castle uh, Arenolf, which is the name of the castle that the company was after. There's a grant done. Uh, to reevaluate the heroism of African-Americans in World War II. Extensively interviewed about the events of April 5th and 6th, this is when Lieutenant Baker learns that he was going to be awarded the Medal of Honor. It was this research in 1996 looking at the heroism because people start asking questions like, how is it that so many African-Americans fought in World War I and II without being uh, recognized? So, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like it, it again. Back to the civil rights thing. I get it, but man, these guys were paying the ultimate price on the beaches of Normandy, uh, in in the you know in the woods of Bastogne. Like these guys in Italy, in Africa. So now he ends up getting the Medal of Honor. You know, after this investigation, nineteen uh, in in nineteen ninety six, he gets it awarded to him by President Bill Clinton. When President Clinton gives him the Medal of Honor. On January 13th, 1997, Vernon Baker becomes the only living black serviceman from World War II to receive the honor. 
And, and that's why I think that, you know, I've read his, like I said, I've read his story in several books and I've watched the episode of it on Medal of Honor on Netflix. I highly recommend it to you and the listeners because it's just incredible. Yeah. You know, oh, the, yeah. the citation to me, the citation downplays what he did, <laughs> which is crazy. When you read the citation, you're like, wow, this guy's awesome. But it's downplayed. Like he's hip firing, charging the Germans. You know, one of those bunkers, he throws a grenade in there. He opens the door and finds the four Germans in there dead with their breakfast splattered everywhere. He had killed them while they were in there eating breakfast. They weren't paying attention. And these are fortified positions. Like insane. Um, so yeah. No, definitely very good. Uh and the fact that he did get what he deserved, albeit, you know, fifty what, two years after the fact, he still got what he deserved. Uh and, and that was incredible. Yeah, that's that is amazing. I mean, and it, it, it kind of makes you really look at things differently too. Like it we're be, we should be beyond skin color and national of origin and ethnicity and all that stuff. And we just look at the character, the presence, uh, the willingness to uh, basically put others before self. Those are what needs to be, you know, and I, it, it saddens me, Ed, it saddens me the fact that, you know, there, there, there'd be people that were in charge of certain awards and, and, and recognizing things that mm -hmm. they can't look beyond something such as that. You know, I mean, like to me, that's it's just shame. It, but I'm glad that we, you know, we've we're able to kind of shift gears in that in that way, you know, and be able to look at things differently. So, uh, but what a yeah. great story, man! What a great story. I'm I'm gonna watch it on Netflix, man. I, I, you'll enjoy it. I promise you'll enjoy it. Yeah. It, it's uh, so do they go through and do like interviews and stuff like that? Or how does it, how does it kind of play out for? Uh, it's, it's a little bit dramatized. Some of them, some of the episodes do have interviews. I can't remember if his had interviews at all in it, um, but it's a little dramatization of it and it, it's pretty good. It really gets you. You're like, wow, wow. <laughs> so they, so they actually, it's almost like they reenacted some of it yeah. too then, huh? Yeah, they do. Awesome, uh, his awesome. and to me, there's another guy. Uh, he was a Japanese American, uh, Miyato. I can't remember his name now. I don't want to butcher it, but it was that one's pretty good too when you look at it. Yeah, I, I um, actually when I was going through the selection process, uh, I actually pulled up multiple multiple Japanese Americans uh, who had won the Medal of Honor during World War II, and and I was like, ah, you know, I'm trying to. You know, and I was trying to look for certain stories and on things, but oh man, there are just so many, and people need to go check that out and kind of to remember those people mm -hmm. for us. You know, uh, hey, my my next one is also World War II, Ed, and there's a significant great mind. Hey, <laughs> well, I'm just crazy like that. Uh, there's a significant um, piece of this that you're going to recognize as being a, a, an awesome part too. Is you know, hey, this guy, yep, <laughs> he was part of the five second parachute infantry regiment uh and people may not know what that is but if i refer to as easy company yeah they'd be like oh you mean Vander brothers yeah well this guy was part of the third battalion all right um and he's actually he was the battalion commander of the third battalion 502nd parachute infantry regiment uh lieutenant colonel robert george cole Colonel Cole, basically, he was actually he is the son of a Fulberg colonel who was a doctor. Um, he was he was actually born down at Fort Sam Houston, which is actually located in San Antonio, Texas. Um, but his story, it, 
I find it to be rather uh, amazing. Uh, and one reason is, is actually he's awarded the Medal of Honor for a situation. He lives through that, that, that particular instance. And then not long after that, he, he's killed in battle doing something also heroic. So if somebody could receive two Medal of Honors, I would definitely say this guy could have received it, right? Um, I, I'm, I can't wait to read the citation, but then after that, I'm also going to share the story of how he, he, he lost his life in battle, right? So here we go. For gallantry and intrepidity, at the risk of his own life above and beyond the call of duty on 11 June 1944 in France, Lieutenant Colonel Cole was personally leading his battalion in forcing the last four bridges on the road to quarantine when his entire unit was suddenly pinned down to the ground by intense and withering enemy rifle, machine gun, mortar, and artillery fire placed upon them from well-prepared and heavily fortified positions within 150 yards of the foremost elements. After the devastating and unceasing enemy fire for over one hour prevented any move and inflicted numerous casualties, Lieutenant Colonel Cole, observing this almost hopeless situation, courageously issued orders to assault the enemy positions with fixed bayonets. He said fixed bayonets, Ed. <laughs> with utter disregard for his own safety and completely ignoring the enemy fire, he rose to his feet in front of his battalion. He got in front of a battalion and withdrawn his pistol, shouted to his men to follow him in the assault. Catching up a fallen man's rifle and bayonet, he charged on and led the remnants of his battalion across the bullet-swept open ground and into the enemy position. His heroic and valiant actions in so inspiring his men resulted in the complete establishment of our bridgehead across the Douve River. The cool fearlessness, personal bravery, and outstanding leadership displayed by Lieutenant Colonel Cole reflect great credit upon himself and are worthy of the highest praise in the military service. I loved what it said there. The cool fearlessness. He, I mean, Ed, so that was just how he won the Medal of Honor, okay? That was him. He stood up, said, fix bayonets, grabbed his pistol, and started going. And then, as he's going in with a pistol, he has a pistol in hand charging the enemy who is, they're just bombarding. He doesn't get hit. Grabs another person's weapon with a bayonet and then continues on. But he leads the charge. He doesn't say go and then follows behind no. people or ducks and hides and stuff like that. Dude, lead the charge, Ed, into this uh, you know barrage of enemy fire. That is, you're talking about like that is the epitome of being a brave, bold leader. That is, I can only imagine what it was like to be serving in in this particular. Uh, parachute infantryman's battalion i mean it just it just rings so much and, and it's just like it's just another one of those stories that we hear about here's a crazy thing ed that's not how he died he lived through that no on september on september 18th 1944 during operation market garden which you know what that is ed i mean uh, you yep. you have a road named after it uh called range road or market garden colonel cole 
commanding the 3rd Battalion of the 502nd Parachute Infantry Regiment in Best Netherlands, got on the radio. A pilot asked him to put some orange identification panels in front of his position. Cole decided to do it himself. He didn't say, hey, you, put panels out there. He did it himself, all right? For a moment, Cole raised his head, shielded his eyes to see the plane. Suddenly, a shot was fired by a German sniper in a farmhouse only 300 yards away, killing Cole instantly. So he had already led a charge uh, previously, basically two weeks prior. Two weeks prior, that's what happened. Two weeks later, he does this. So not only did he lead this charge, basically leading his men, uh, putting, you know, putting his fear behind him and just going. Then two weeks later, he decides to uh, also try to mark the position to help uh, fighter pilots to barrage the area so they could you know, clear the way. And then that's how he, he passed. Uh, just unbelievable story, Ed. Unbelievable. I, so I believe, I could be wrong, <clears throat> but I believe that is a scene in the movie A Bridge Too Far. So what it is, is basically we were trying, the Americans we, or the Allies, we were trying to stop the Germans from destroying those bridges. Mm-hmm. Uh, because so it would st- it would stop our advance. And at this point, it was a standoff over the bridge between the Germans. We couldn't go f- forward and they wouldn't fall back. So I think that's when the aircraft was being used, you know. But I think that that scene is in a bridge too far. I'm, I'm, I'm going to have to check it out. Um, it doesn't say, it says, Col- uh, I was reading a little bit more character to the five gearbox software games, brother in arms. Uh, so basically, in a, they do, they try to use his true life, basically character uh, is what they're saying uh, for a game called brother in arms, road to hill 30, and then brother in arms earned in blood and then brother in arms hell's highway. But here's a, here's a quick tip for you. So, how many times did we eat at Cole Park Commons? Uh, had a meal, shared a meal together there. Uh, several times. Oh. It's named after him, buddy. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. Now you're like, oh, what? It's crazy. Like, you and I have sat in place, um, another area, uh, Cole Park. Uh, that's one of the living areas there at Fort Campbell. Uh, it's named after him also. So, it's, it's pretty crazy. Um, hmm. I just... I'm telling you, I look upon I look upon all six of the ones we talked about today, Ed, and I can't I can't say enough like how important it is that uh, Americans across the world, not just here in the U.S., but across the world, are able to observe and 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 look upon all these individuals, especially on Memorial Day. They should do. It, I, I personally feel like it should be done more than Memorial Day. One day is not enough for me. Um, I think that's why you and I we get into this stuff so much, but. Uh, especially today on uh, Memorial Day, you know, this being released today, uh, they should, you know, look at this and kind of like, wow, you know, and then and, and to be able to understand like what it really means to, to honor those on Memorial Day. So, yeah. And um, so if you are interested, um, one of the ways, I mean, this year I kind of got my wife and I kind of couldn't do it, but one of the ways to really help out to a Memorial Day, uh, an excellent thing to do, my sister's done it. My brother's done it at Arlington is they lay reefs at Arlington on all the, um, all the graves and they leave them there all weekend. Third infantry division, which is the old guard there, they lead the charge, but you can volunteer. And if you have a veterans or a military cemetery near where you live, you can volunteer to go 
Um, they may have you like they stick flags in the ground at the headstones. They put reefs down and it's just a good way to get involved. And at the same time, you know, kind of show your respect and Hey, don't forget to put a penny on the headstone too. That's a lot of pennies. If you go yep. to a cemetery and you lay a bunch of reefs, but just different ways. I, we wanted to do Luxembourg where general Patton is buried. And a lot of the soldiers who uh, lost their lives during the battle of the bulge in Bastogne in Belgium are buried there. But unfortunately our borders are still not open due to the uh, COVID-19 yet. Uh, so I can't travel out of the country, but next year, next year. Yeah, yeah definitely, man. I, I, you know, I think uh, that's definitely one of those things that I want to look at kind of doing in the future too. Cause I think that's uh to me, that's definitely a way to honor them. You know, take, take time of the day and go and, you know, lay wreaths or, or even the flags when they poke the flags in the ground right in front of each tombstone. Yeah, so absolutely. I think they do it pretty early though. Don't they, they normally do it earlier in the morning. Uh, yeah, they'll usually do it like the Saturday before and early in the morning. And then the, the, at least from my experience, the ones they have difficulty with is after Memorial day. Um, they have difficulty getting volunteers out to help pick up the reefs because they got to clean those up. So that's another way to kind of help out your community and, you know, help out the local veterans cemetery. So I think that's a great way for people to influence others and and get groups together. Obviously right now, you know, we get the COVID thing during our present period in time, but in the future, get groups together to go do this. Uh, I don't, I mean that to me. If this if there's not any way to better influence people, then that is it right there, my friend. Yeah, and and you know the vet the you know that the uh, they'll appreciate it at the cemeteries, the assistance, and uh, you can like you said you can do small groups like hey, whatever you can take you know for us military we can put that out to our platoon and say hey, you know hey let's do this thing. Who's interested? And if, you know, you get five people out of the 20 that work in your, your part of the, you know, company or the business. Okay. You got five, that's five more than they had. And mm-hmm. you're making a, a, a impact. Yeah, absolutely. My man. Well, hey, and, and I thought this is a great one to kind of cover today, especially being Memorial day. Um, I can't wait to do another one with you in the future, especially like on a Memorial day or even when we get into September, which, you know, that's a, that's a big thing for you and I that we observe uh, also, um, not only just in September, but throughout the, the, the uh, suicide awareness. Um, but that's yeah. another, that's another, uh, thing that takes the lives of many of our veterans who have gone and fought and done things and, you know, dealing with that. So, um, Ed, thanks very much. I appreciate it, man. Uh, but the question is, if people want to know more about the Instinctive Influence oh, podcast, can't <laughs> you can't wait. But who? How do? How do they do this? Well, I'll tell you, Brian. They can check us out at uh, the various means of social media: Facebook, Instagram, Twitter at one hundred and one Influence on Instagram and uh, Facebook on Twitter. We both have individual accounts that they can check us out on. I actually posted something a few things this week to the uh, Facebook page. It is a closed group, but you just got to answer some simple questions just to show that you're not a robot and then uh, submit them and you'll get approved. And then you could check us out on our, our website, uh, instinctiveinfluencers.com and meet the faces. Maybe Brian will change that picture. One of these days, uh, you can meet the faces and get to know us a little better. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, I almost feel like we're at a point where we should just be selling T-shirts to people, you know, just, I don't know, 
just so people could uh, kind of wear it around. But nah, I do have a shirt, mind. don't I? I do have a t-shirt. Yeah, you I and I do. Yeah, we, me. Actually, there's, <laughs> there's only really four of them: mine, yours, Michelle's, and Tammy. So, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> now hey, that's that's it, man. Hey, get a hold of us. Let us know uh, what you think. Uh, but Ed, you were gonna leave us with uh, some parting words. Well. I did want to talk about a couple of things. So we're talking about Memorial Day, and we've mentioned Arlington several times. And let me tell you, man, as a soldier, I think the one of the best jobs you can have is right there at the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. And, and those guys go through some rigorous training. I just met a guy who came from there. And even if you're there as, say, the supply sergeant, you're not there to be one of the guards, you still have to go through the training and the uniforms. Uh, he was telling me some just random facts that was just like, wow, like uh, the first like for two straight weeks, all you do is is learn to maintain your uniform and put it together. Um, and they're required to do that for like a couple of hours a day. They have to work on their uniform. That's like a requirement for them. But just the uh, the whole thing. And, and it's interesting. There's a bunch of criteria to earn the the badge right as the tomb guard. And, you know, it takes some time and it's, it's crazy because the tomb and unknown soldier has been, uh, they've had guards on it since 1939, I believe. Now this is off the top of my head, but I'm pretty sure I'm, I'm right on. Um, those guards have been there since 1939 rotating in and out and only 600 have ever earned that badge. Wow. And, and, you know, I didn't know this, but maybe you knew this, you know, when they, become a tomb guard right and they get that badge there's no more alcohol ever in their life there's no profanity in public ever in their life like these are some of the things that they have to commit to mm. uh, as part of it i never knew that it's like insane um i mean it's dedication and that's what that is like uh you know you can go google images uh the tomb guards in the winter and they're just marching like the you know like it's nothing going on um you know, I'm a native Washingtonian, and I can tell you in the summer, like only Kuwait is hotter to me <laughs> wow. in the summer. And them guys are out there and their uniforms are wool. Like those things are, you know, so, but those tombs, uh, those guards are there and they're there to do a job. Um, you know, and, and you, you know what I mean, Brian, like they're so professional, um, you know, little small things. If you ever watch the ceremony, just for our listeners, a little quick facts. Uh, it's 21 steps on the black rug that they walk. Yep. And then they face the tomb for 21 seconds. And then they go back the other way down that carpet. I, I, I've i never counted. I just learned that. My wife actually just taught me that this week. And if she listens, she'll get the credit. If she don't listen, I'm not giving her the credit. But she just taught me that this week. Uh, wow. Yeah. So interesting, right? So so I, I yeah, as you were talking about that, I was like, you know what? Let me look this up real quick because I want to see what it means. It says a civilian guard was first posted at the tomb on November seventeenth, nineteen twenty-five, to prevent, among other things, families from picnicking on the <laughs> flat marble slab with views of the city. A military guard was first posted on March twenty-fifth, nineteen twenty-six. The first twenty-four hour guard was posted uh, on. Midnight, July second, nineteen thirty-seven. I was close. The tomb of the un, yeah, tomb of the unknown has 
been guarded continuously 24 hours a day, seven days a week since that time. So since 1937. Yeah. Uh, inclement weather, terrorist attacks, uh, etc. do not cause the watch to cease. Since 1948, the tomb guards are a special platoon within the 3rd U.S. Infantry Regiment. And yeah, yeah so, but yeah, wow. They li- and they live in the catacombs under the tomb. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Wow, man. I mean, and by the way, that view is that is one of the most magnificent views in DC. Oh yeah, yeah. I've and that's what I'm saying. I've yeah. been there. When you look out over it, because in the way that they have those little guardrails right there, right? So you have there's the middle yeah. part where you're not supposed to stand at all, and then they have it, it's almost like two little boxed off areas on each side of the middle part, and then mm-hmm. and then they're walking on that like that black mat. Uh, what'd you call it? Was uh, it was uh, what was it made out of? Do you know? Uh, I do not actually. I say carpet. I know you it's know, not I'm carpet. Wondering. I think it's no it's rubber it's, or something. I say a rubber. Yeah, it looks like a rubberized mat. But I mean, it still doesn't matter. You wear those. You wear those shoes that long and do that same march the whole time. Your feet are going to hurt after a while. Um, yeah. Oh well. Fun fact. So their shoes are also made with extra insoles. There's there's six extra layers or something like that to their shoes to their soles. No way. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah insane because of that and then so that they can ins- um insulate them for the winter oh yeah that makes sense um yeah so. uh, that's it's something else man i i really appreciate you want to leave this i wanted to say one more shout out to uh, a group of people that i think are um they're the ones who obviously every day they they live with memorial day every single day of their lives and that is the gold star families um i just want to say you know mm-hmm. thank you for you know I want to say thank your 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 service member for the sacrifice they gave, but also I want to say thank you to them for continuing that on and for uh, living every day as Memorial Day. I, I know you went through some tragedy, and we we appreciate you. So that's if you don't know who the Gold Star family is, look it up, please, because they're very important. Um, Ed, did you have some parting words? I do. So we we were talking about the soldiers, and I'd like to share with you now what's called the Sentinels' Creed, which the uh, guards have to memorize um, and it basically it encapsulates uh, the feelings of the guards so I'd like to leave our audience with that Brian my dedication to this sacred duty is total and wholehearted and the responsibility bestowed on me never will I falter and with dignity and perseverance my standard will remain perfection through the years of diligence and praise and the discomfort of the elements. I will walk my tour in humble reverence to the best of my ability. It is he who commands the respect I protect, his bravery that made us so proud, surrounded by well-meaning crowds by day, alone in the thoughtful peace of night. This soldier will in honor glory rest under my eternal vigilance.